This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week. This is TV podcast, another one this week. Uh, my guest today, Adam Kay, Managing Director of Mint Pictures, but perhaps more importantly, the um, driver, the director of uh, Slow TV, which has sort of taken off, I think, in Australia since... Uh, He's been involved with a couple of commissions for SBS, so we're going to be talking a fair bit about slow TV today, but he doesn't know it yet, but he's got some interesting other stuff he did in his career before he uh, came out here to Australia from both the UK, a bit of time in New York, I think, too, so we might get to that uh, a little bit further into the podcast, but Adam, welcome. Thank you very much, James. Good to be here. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a big fan of slow TV. That's good, because quite um, a few people aren't, but it's good <laughs> that most people are. <laughs> but I'll start off at the top. The, the thing about it is that to experience, I think that it's the ultimate, you've got to have some time, don't you? That's my only problem. It's really hard to get that big block of time just to sit down chill out in front of the TV. I mean, you can enjoy it without doing that, but I think to really get the max out of it, that's what I'd love to do. And I think you've hit upon the main point. It is about time, but I equate it to the old days when we picked up a book and we read a book mm. and we didn't have a laptop on our laps and we didn't have a beeping you know, iPhone and we didn't have all those other things. So for me, let's get back in time, let's treat it like we're reading a book and let's invest in it. Mm. And that's thankfully what hundreds of thousands of people have done. Yeah, But you touched upon it as well. It's been very polarizing. Uh, but look, you know, when you make documentaries, good or bad, opinions are very important. And it's been out there massively in, in the press and in the public. And overwhelmingly, it seems, and I've got a whole heap of um, posts and social media stuff about it. I mean, it, it's overwhelmingly, you know, being positive. But there are naysayers, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it just moves a lot of people. Um, just quickly, so you started with the Garn, Australia's Greatest Train Journey. That was the first one. Um, then 12 months later, you followed up with a, a cruise to the up the Kimberley Coast. Is that right? Uh, Timing-wise, we actually did the Indian Pacific. So we did the Garn first 12 months ago, then right. we did the Indian Pacific, and then right. we did the cruise. Okay, okay. Which which one went to air first? Indian Pacific. Indian Pacific, okay. Yep. Yep. okay. And when did the Garn go to air? Garn went to air January last year. Yes. So January 2018. Yes. Indian Pacific went to air early January 2019, followed by the Kimberley Cruise the week later. Of course, yes, okay, okay. Wow. Two big numbers. Yeah. If you're yeah. about to segue onto numbers. Well, yeah, no, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. I'll, I just want to go through um, chronologically, seeing yep. I've got it sorted now. Tell me, what was your, when did you first experience slow TV in, in your career or as a viewer or as a TV professional? Look, running a niche independent like Mint Pictures who are known for our high-end factual documentaries, you've always got your finger on the pulse as to what has been popular, uh, particularly in Europe, because a lot of the you know the drivers come from there. And we came across Slow TV through a Scandinavian company that started to do it nearly 10 years ago now. Uh, and we always kept our eye on it. And, you know, as a lot of content in Australia, you think, well, who would air that here? Who really would do that? It's a long format. Have people got the time to invest in it? Yada, yada, yada. And then just regularly, we have catch-ups with SBS, who we're doing a lot of stuff for at the moment, and ABC. Uh, and we teased it with SBS. And they looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> and they said, well, you know what our charter is, obviously. If you can come up with an iconic journey in Australia that hits a few points in our charter, then we'll consider it. But 
I mean, you know, there was a lot of naysayers in the SBS building, uh, but there was very important people that wanted to make noise. And these days, as you well know, broadcasters can make a bit of noise and, and you know, do something different, uh, particularly on SBS and Finding, which is all kudos to them. Um, and they went for it. They, the trick was what we proposed, which was the GAN. It's, an icon- it's Australia's most iconic journey. Uh, it's full of multicultural stories. Um, it's got so many stories about the Afghan cameleers, the Chinese coolies. It takes in Alice Springs. It takes in Darwin. It takes in Adelaide. You know, it takes so many boxes for SBS. And the the construction of the line with with you know with the Afghans and and the camels. So really, we just had to prove to them that it was on charter, which it was. We had to prove to them that the visuals would be sensational, which they were. They gave us a little bit of development money. I went on the train with a couple of guys and we researched it and we filmed it and we presented a beautiful so you, development. You did like reel. a little pilot almost, yeah? yeah. Yep, you how, did a pilot how long would film. that have run for? Uh, we sent them a 10-minute reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more than that, we sent them a big, big, you know, glossy Bible, okay. you know, proving there was at least 60, 70 stories that we could tell along the way. So for them, it wasn't just about point A to point B. It was what happens between point A and point B. So what are the stories between Adelaide and Darwin that you can tell us that are on charter for SBS? The how many times, first, yeah, it must have been hard to cost initially. How did you work out a budget for something like that? And that's the part of the recce. Uh, But yes, having it never been done before in Australia uh, and having not huge amounts of money like arguably the, you know, 9, 10 or 7 would give you, it's SBS, it's government money, uh, every dollar counts. So, yeah, we had to be a lean, mean fighting machine. We only had six people on the train. Um, So there was a director myself, there was a helicopter pilot, uh, there was a helicopter cameraman, there was a sound man, there was a producer, and there was a data wrangler. You know, so it's tight. People can't believe that we went out with six people and, you know, we made a three-hour version for SBS main channel and a 17-hour version, you know, for Vice. So that's 20 hours of content. You know, divide. I'm not at liberty to give you the budget number, but it wasn't huge. Yeah. But if you divide the budget number by 20 hours, that's the best value television going around at the moment for SBS. Well, for any broadcaster. So 15 cameras? We had a range of, yeah, I would say in total we left Sydney with about 15 cameras. And at any one time running in the train, we probably would have been having between 8 and 10. We had backup cameras. Who knows? We had a lot of exterior cameras on the train. So a lot of them obviously fixed. A lot of them fixed, and the trick was the main one that was fixed, we had to have another one there. So we had two cameras in our hero positions. What happens if it fails? We can't get to it between any point in the journey. You know, we can't you get out of the train. You couldn't really, could you couldn't monitor move. the video? You didn't have a little... Oh, yeah, you can watch it on Did your you? iPhone. Oh, okay. Uh, but still, there are periods of four to six hours where the train doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. So if the camera goes down, we can probably tell it goes down, but my cameraman might not have been there at that time. He's probably doing another thing in another part of the train, and I'm probably doing another thing in another, you know. So we were never, like, we never had enough resources to stand over every camera and check every camera was working. So we would go back every hour or two to check them all, and at times one had gone down, but we had, you know, we had a backup. So knowing that the hero angle is pointing forward down the track, we had two cameras on that position. Knowing that the hero angle uh-huh. was, you know, the side where we wanted to tell the stories, we had two cameras there as well. So, you know, I don't want to give too much away because it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a mint IP. Sure. But it's no rocket science to know that we needed backups in certain places to make sure that we got the coverage. Right. Okay. Okay. The 
between what your first sort of recce trip and when you'd finished all the, the shoot, how many times would you have travelled on the Garnery? I did it three times. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the cameraman did it twice. The, the whole team did it. Uh, I did it tw- twice. Cameraman did it twice. And the rest of the team did it once. So, okay. so it was basically the, the main journey was what just the one that we yes, saw was that yes, mainly just yes, one yes, ride? Yes, and, um, and you just would have done a few pickups on the one back, would it? No, no, it, so so the first time we went was just basically two cameras, and we just filmed some vision out the window, and we okay. just you know filmed you know some vision out the front with a few cameras at the front. We turned that into a development reel for SBS, then we went back for real and filmed it for real. There were no pickups, it was all filmed okay. in the one. Time so scale, everything we saw was just on that one journey. Everything that you saw on the 17-hour journey of the GAN was pretty much every daylight minute of that journey. We had to be That's true amazing. to the concept. There's no, you know, there's no trickery. There's no moving shots around. You can't. It's, it's, it, you know, it's a true narrative timeline that follows a route from A to B. I can't drop a shot in. 700 kilometers into a place that's, you know, 200 kilometers because people would, know, there are a lot of train spotters out there, James. <laughs> You'd be surprised, you know. And actually, I was in LA when it broadcast, this is the GAN. And look, I get emails all the time from people unsolicited, yada, yada, yada. But I woke up to 75 emails from members of the public, which doesn't seem like a lot. But anyone listening that works in television will tell you that to get 75 unsolicited yeah. emails from members of the public about a show, and 70 of them were like, OMG, that was the best thing I've ever seen. You guys should get a Logie. <laughs> how, how refreshing. I didn't have any crazy voiceover, crazy music. And one thing, you know, there was no music, James. There was no voiceover. It was pure sounds from nature and from the train and story beats coming on the left of the train and the right of the train. And people loved it. Different. So different. To capture that audio, tell me about that. So you had all the cameras. What about your microphone? We had microphones inside and outside of the train, mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. And again, in you know various situations. Um, and look, obviously, the, the you know whilst I'm saying it's true to the journey, which it was, you know, we take it into an audio suite like like every television show does to you enhance know, to enhance. But yep. it was all sound. We never went into any sound libraries. We never went into anything. It's all sounds that we recorded from that journey. Yes, we might have raised the level a little bit here and there, but of course. Sure. We're making television. We're in the entertainment business. Yes. Wow. At the was it a anything special about that journey? Did the train need to give you guys a little bit more room to roam and maybe not have quite as many passengers? Or and how involved were they in the Good production? Question. Uh, look, one thing about the slow TVs that we've done in Australia, every organisation that we've worked with. And I'm very wary of this. I don't want to impact on the passenger experience. These passengers pay a lot of money, up to 10, 12 grand to go on the cruise or to go on the train. So I was very conscious of not impacting on the passenger experience. Great Southern Rail, who we had to convince for the GAN in the Indian Pacific, were also very conscious of that. So, and that's again another reason for taking a very small team. Uh, so look, we had, uh, when the train first departed there was an announcement made that there was a film crew on board if anyone has a problem please come and see you know please come see the purser we had signs up we were very polite we were very nice to you know people we never it's not about pointing the camera at any individual because we were pointing the camera at the landscape Mm -hmm. um so we never featured anyone's face on screen so to speak we had incidental people in the bar or incidental people moving around the train and you know what? Very quickly, we became part of the family. To the people on the train, this was incredible. What? Mm. There's a film crew here doing this? <laughs> and then they would see the chopper flying out the window. and they were, it, it got really exciting. And again, 
I didn't have to traffic any issues with people on the train. People loved it. And that was surprising. But I guess if, with all due respect to the people, to the demographic that, that are on that train, that's exciting for them. You know, they're on a train, they're looking out a window for three days. So there's a film crew there. More, large majority were super happy about it. The chopper, was that expensive, having it for that long? Because yeah. they're not cheap, are they? They're not cheap. They're not cheap in that. You know, Did you do a deal? Could you cut a deal? Yeah, we cut a deal, <laughs> and it's the same. It was the same chopper pilot for the Indian Pacific. But yeah, oh, wow, okay. um, but the logistics of flying across and moving to the Indian Pacific, you know, flying across the Nullarbor where there's no fuel mm. for six to eight hours. I mean, I was in the chopper, directing, you know, the coverage, and to my left is about twenty liters of fuel that I'm leaning on. My wife was not over the moon about that. <laughs> you can imagine. I mean, that's, you know. Yeah. So we had to travel with fuel and we had to put down and we had to fill it up ourselves because we're, we're in the middle of nowhere. How, were you in the chopper all the time? I or? was in the chopper all the time. I directed all the chopper coverage. Well, okay. So they were dropping me down. And you had radio the coverage to, on the train? Sporadically. Or, or they just knew what to do? And they knew what to do. I'd done the recce. We'd done a big camera Bible. We'd planned it all out. I had a great DOP. I had a great producer. I was in contact with them in the mornings. I would drop down and meet them when the train was at stops. It was meticulously planned. The train's got a timetable. Our helicopter bought into that timetable and we knew where to land down. We would have 10 minutes when the train was stopped to go and refuel and, you know, sort of brief the crew and then get back up in the air. Every night they would drop me off so I would stay with the crew and I would look at all the media that was wrangling. We were up all night wrangling media. I mean, James, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. Mm. You've got eight to ten cameras rolling for 16 daylight hours of of every day. You don't need to do the maths. That's, (laughs) you know, 500 hours of footage. Yeah. So cataloging, cataloging all that. Well, it must have been a massive job. I to- haven't even got it back to Sydney yet. <laughs> so I had to get all that footage back to Sydney, get mm. my team in Sydney to make sense of this and to sync it all so all the cameras are running at the same time so we could look at the splits and we could decide what is the best camera angle at 10 past two on you know Tuesday. So massive job. Mass- I mean, honestly, I've never undertaken anything bigger in television than this. Huge job. Because it's because as you said, it's a real-time experiencing a real-time event and you've just got to roll. You can't stop your cameras because you want to capture every single second of it. Being in that chopper must be one of your highlights though because you would have seen some images that you would have thought, geez, if we capture this on camera, it's going to look brilliant. Amazing. (laughs) I'm constantly, you you know, I'm constantly aware of how lucky I've been. Um, I've spent a lot of time in choppers. I've done the World Rally Championship. I was in choppers for three years, you know, chasing rally cars. So that was quite hairy. So, you know, chasing the GAN train at 120 kilometres an hour, I was quite used to it. But it's not it's not for everyone. I mean, that mm. chopper goes, you know, can go up to, you know, 200 kilometres an hour and it can go as high as six, 7,000 feet, you know, and then you can descend really quickly. You do get a sense of, you know, that sort of, you know, dizziness that comes with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, incredible scenes. I mean, all over the country now in, in the chopper. Because there's some quite low stuff. Was that from the chopper? Yeah. Because uh, you know, they're can't some of it. the best shots, actually, that the, when you're going parallel with amazing. the train, and amazing. you seem to be on the same level, you're obviously up a little bit, but people couldn't but believe it. That's careful flying, though, that's right? That's the helicopter pilot. His name's David, Ad- David Adamson, so a complete Do you need to, to get him. special permission to, to you know fly what? at that height? or No, but you can't go within the parameters of what Great Southern Rail tell us the proximity yeah. to the train. But I was surprised. They said, you can't fly within three metres of the train. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay, that sounds fantastic. Thanks very much. 
three meters. You're thinking, yeah, we probably won't approach James, it's not even the length of this office that we're in. I mean, that's how close we were. And then, of course, if you put a long lens on the end of the gyrocam system, it condenses it. So really, you think, oh my goodness, you're practically inside the cockpit. So we're never actually as close as what the pictures are telling you because we've got a huge long lens on. But we were close. Mm. We were close. And it was, you know, it was... I wouldn't say it was hairy, uh, but of course, in the back of your mind, when the you know when the helicopter pilot is circling and swooping around, you know, the front as the driver's driving, you know, unfortunately, sometimes accidents do happen. So you know, mm. and you know, running this for SBS and running a production company, you can't help but think sometimes. Let's just hope this all goes smoothly. Yeah. Did you have like a safety officer or someone? We had extensive safety plans, but we didn't have a safety officer with us. But but okay. we we have risk assessments for everything, and we had to show that to Great Southern Rail, and we had to show that to you know the Kimberley Cruise and to SBS. So yeah, all all boxes ticked. Okay, so you, Adam, you did two train journeys. Yep. Tell me about the learnings between because you must have learned a fair bit from your first one before you got back on the train again. Did you change much? Most of what we learned was in post. So oh, okay. most of what we learned was bringing the vision back and being better organized at how we did that process and streamlining that process. So how, uh, how you actually conducted the shoot was similar. Pretty, you got it pretty right? Similar, got it pretty right. Look, we took better cameras in, okay. in the year between them. There was better GoPros around, uh, better stabilization, uh, you know, because some of the cameras were shaking on the side of the train. So we looked at better arms and better clamps. Uh, it's all HD, I guess. All HD, yep. all HD. Uh, better system for wrangling the media on the train. Um, but look, you know, you learn with any production, but we pulled off a very successful GAN. It was refining it, it was tweaking it, it was using better equipment, you know, to get it better. And again, bringing it back to Mint and Glebe and making sure that uh, the post-process was smoother. Yes, okay, okay. Um, the what sort of motivated SBS to go with more well, this, the, well, this the, year? Well, the GAN was hugely successful, massively successful. Uh, the overnight figure, I think, was 745,000 overnight. Uh, this is January 2018, which at the time, well, still is, I believe, one of SBS's highest figures for years. So I don't think, I mean... People were blown away by the success of it. Um, mm. So they clearly wanted to go again. Uh, as you know, they did this whole month, of which Mint did two of them, and they acquired two. So, you know, they went again in spades. Um, let's see what happens next year. We are obviously discussing it with them, um, and it's safe to say they'll go again to what level. We're not 100% sure at the moment, but everyone loves it. Everyone's got great ideas on it. Um, we'll see. But it's been a success, no doubt. Yeah, um, and obviously that another train ride was appealing to them after the success of that. You know, you do the viewing figures, Michael Portillo's <laughs> Great Journeys of the UK. Isn't that staggering, that show, what it does? I mean... I'm surprised it's not a bigger deal in Australia how popular that is. Every time I look at the viewer, it's never under 300,000. That's incredible. So they know they had... And that was the other thing about the GAN, when they said to us, convince us it's on charter. Well, let's choose something we know that people like. Yep. A train. I mean, I've said this before in interviews. My son is nearly five. He's obsessed with trains. My father is 78. He's obsessed with trains. Between the ages of five and 78, you're playing to a pretty <laughs> large audience, don't you think? I mean, yeah. so we chose a train. SBS knew they were going to get 300,000 viewers if they put a train on air. 
did they expect to get 750,000, you know, when they got aired overnight? No, but it was a massive success. So, you know, they went again. Yep. And obviously they went again with a train. Yes. But they wanted to make sure that they weren't accused of doing, you know, the same thing being a one, you know, sort of one trick pony. So at the same time, you know, they commissioned the cruise. So let's talk about the Indian Pacific. That's a much longer ride. The Indian Pacific was an extra day, correct? Yeah. Yeah. That was three nights and four days, whereas the GAN was two nights and three days. Okay. So how did you decide to treat that in overall length? Uh, well, look, it, it was... And was the, there any learnings from the format you released the, the GAN in? They went again with exactly the same. So we did three hours on the main channel of the GAN. We did three hours on the main channel of the Indian Pacific. We did 17 hours on Viceland and Facebook, I think it was streamed on as well, uh-huh. the GAN, and they went exactly the same with the Indian Pacific. Okay. We just went for the same. Uh, look, you know, to move the durations around, had budget implications. They'd signed off on that budget with a few tweaks here and there. We knew what the number was. Obviously, we were filming for a day longer. Excuse me. Um, so it wasn't really, you know, a no-brainer for them. Yeah. The, are these still available on, on demand? I cannot confirm that. Yeah, okay, I should have checked that. Can't confirm that, but yep. but they were certainly for the month of January and a lot of February. Yes, uh, but I don't know if they're still available. But there are DVDs coming out of. Are there? Yeah. So there's a DVD of the GAN. And don't you, tell me there's extra content. No, but there's bizarrely <laughs> like as if seventeen hours. There's wasn't a seventeen-hour DVD. It, it's on six discs. Really? Can you believe that? Six discs. Six discs. DVD sales are still a thing. Aren't they? I mean, yeah. they're obviously not as huge as they used to. No, be, but. but but the people that enjoy slow TV arguably are still mm. got DVD players in their house. Sure. And I don't know if you're aware, but it aired on BBC Four in the UK. The oh, game, did it? Yeah. Okay. To their biggest number that night and that year, I believe. We mm. need to check that. But huge numbers on BBC Four. So you'll see the Indian Pacific on BBC Four and you'll see the cruise on BBC Four. So there's the international wow. market loving it as well. Other markets will... Has it got legs in other markets? Uh, do think, I don't or? know the sales, but our distributor is, you know, basically putting it out there. I think Scandinavia for sure. Okay. Um, but the Brits have, you know, swallowed it up. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, it's obviously the people who run the Kimberley Cruise or these two train companies, it's a pretty good promotion for what they're doing, isn't it? Of which... You know, Mint, they must be pretty happy. Of which Mint Pictures got zero out of it. <laughs> But uh, had I been doing this for a Channel 9, a Channel 7, <laughs> or a Channel 10, we could have negotiated these deals. But yeah. but because you're doing it for you know, public broadcast with public money, uh, you know, we we got our fee for making the show and that's it. What you do have, though, is a pretty good reel that it's going to get you access almost anywhere, isn't it, I guess? Well, no one's going to say no. One would hope so. <laughs> Well, look, there's no doubt it's been fantastic for Mint Pictures. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's really put us on the map. Um, you know, we've been around, as you know, and we used to be North One. We used to be owned, owned by all three media. But to come out of this in this glow of slow TV has been fantastic for the company. And we get lots and lots of proposals around slow TV and it's increased our profile. And, you know, we'll move on to our slate in due course, but it's certainly helped the company massively. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the, the cruise then, the... The challenges of getting well, off dry land. You're out in the open seas. Well, a lot of it wasn't open seas. It was very narrow spots you were getting into, some amazing reefs and stuff like that, which I look at some of that footage and I look at that and go, how did you do that? Well, whereas you asked me what did you learn and what did you change between the two trains and I said very little, 
what we changed between the train and the cruise ship was massive, mm-hmm. absolutely massive. And it was 10 days. Wow. So, you know, 10 days at sea. So I had to go on a recce for 10 days with my producer uh, and we had some cameras. And well, the big challenge for that was the Coral Discoverer, which was the main vessel that we used, does about 70% of the journey. And then you go off onto a smaller tender called the Explorer to get into what you just described, the reefs and the smaller rivers and stuff. So SBS's main thing was, look, we get the Kimberley's going to be beautiful. There is no doubt about that. How are you going to deal with being on one vessel and getting on to another vessel? Is the viewer going to understand that? Does that negate from the journey? All those so the people were actually staying on the smaller vessel? No, so the people... Or was it just used for the day trips? The just other used vessels? for the day trips. I get it. So you stay well, on the you big vessel. You saw that, didn't you? Like, you saw that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. my point was, let's just establish that. Let's just yeah, tell it was the, the story. Oh, it was easy to understand. It was easy. Yeah, it was yeah. easy. But, but you know, from a broadcaster point of view, they yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to understand that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, and also, I had to then rig two vessels. So I had all this, and, and it was easy to rig the main vessel. It's a beautiful, beautiful cruise ship. It's fantastic. There's you know, easy forms of cabling, and there's masts to put cameras on, and there's rear things, and there's forward things. But then I would get, you know, ding dong, in 30 minutes, please be ready to board the Explorer for a trip down, you know, the coral reef. So we are like, wow, okay, right. Now we've got to get all that, you know, so... From a logistic point of view, it was really hard. We had to strip back our cameras on the main vessel, get them onto the smaller vessel. Again, all the time, James, not wanting to impact on the passenger experiencing, not wanting to get in the way of all those passengers. What sort of passenger numbers are there? 72 people on the cruise. Fair bit, isn't it? Fair bit. It doesn't look like that huge. 72 people moving from the main ship to the smaller ship is quite... And 72 people that don't move quickly. Was there only ever the one smaller ship? One smaller. Oh, no, there was little, little dinghies. One day there was a couple of... To go through horizontal yep. falls, they went on these okay. small dinghies, which, you know, sat five or six. Yes. Um, so logistically, very challenging. Water and cameras don't really mix. So making sure we had housings for the cameras, uh, making sure, you know, that our cameraman was sitting in a position where someone wouldn't tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, mate, I've paid X thousands of dollars, you're in my way. Um, very, very challenging. Very, very tricky to pull off way trickier than the trains, uh, but in many ways, more slow. Mm. You know, the train goes at 120, 130 kilometers an hour for a large part of the day. The boat, the cruise ship, goes at 20 kilometers an hour. So that is really slow. And what we found was it was easier to tell our stories. We had this moving ship or the moving tender going through the water slowly so we could have all these graphics come on the screen and come towards you at a much more legible pace and read. Uh, Because one of the criticisms was, and I'll put my hand up and say it it was valid, was that on the trains the graphics were coming too quickly for people to read so they could take the story in. Uh, But that's hard. You know, you've got 3D graphics coming towards you and a train going the other way at 120 kilometers an hour. But on the the cruise ship, it was was much easier. You had a slow-moving vehicle with slow-moving, you know, stories coming towards us. But then you suffer from, you know, you couldn't get off for 10 days. And, you know, that was hard for the crew. Um, but again, we quickly became part of the family. We quickly embraced ourselves with the crew. The passengers loved us, uh, you know. So it went very well. It went very well. And the stories up in the Kimberley, I mean, you know, 
the Muslim traders, the Japanese paddlers, the European explorers, refugees, pirates. What a great, great part of the world. And just stunning. Yeah. Stunning. The tides seem to play a significant role in what the tourists can see and what you could film, no doubt. 100%. And the crew that worked on the Kimberley cruise, they have all those tide charts. So we would meet with them every day and every night, twice a day, and they would say, tomorrow we have to do this and we have to leave at this time and we have to do this. This is going to be great for your filming. You can't film this. We can't get there. And we went to Horizontal Falls at one of the best tide times, you know, that they've ever seen. And also Montgomery Reef. You know, we went to this reef that appears out of the ocean. That's that, yeah, reef. It's you can't see it normally. At a certain tide, three it's not hours, there, right? Three hours of every day, between the hours of 6 a.m. and, you know, to 9 a.m., if you're in the right place at the right time, it drops down to like six to eight meters reef. And there's little birds and animals and sea snakes and turtles. And then, you know, when the tide comes up, it disappears. It's mm. like, <laughs> it's the, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. We didn't have a helicopter on that. That was all drone because we couldn't take a helicopter out with us for 10 days. It was too expensive and too remote. I was going to ask you about that. All drone. So not even you, not even the wealthy proprietor (laughs) of Mint Pictures could pilot a a chopper for 10 days. Did you have one? No. You didn't have it? Did you have a drone? Yeah. So we had two drones. Two drones? Two drones. Okay. And I was with, I directed all the drone coverage, but the drone guy did a fantastic job. Bruno did a great job. Uh, but it's so much easier because, again, as I said, you, you know, we're only going at 20 kilometers an hour. Uh, we could launch the drone from, from the main ship or from the Explorer or, or they gave us a little dinghy to work with. Um, so just, yeah, we could never have done it with a helicopter. There's nowhere to fuel you. I mean, you know, yeah, the Kimberley really is the last great mm. frontier of Australia. <laughs> you, I mean, you can see nothing for days. Mm. Days, people don't realize it. I mean, really, it's just out there. Tell me with the drone... Maybe don't include the camera gear, but what quality drone do you need for for the commercial applications you do? That, In terms of dollars, what how much would you have to spend? I believe, you and it's no secret, that was a that was an Inspire drone. I believe it's like a three and a half grand drone. Okay, yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's up there, but it's, it's up there. But I mean, it's, it's not a chopper. Really. It's not a chopper, and no. it could bring two. Yes. In the, case the one fell in the water, the stuff's pretty impressive. And and did and, you have any technical troubles with the drones or anything? Yeah, sometimes the main ship's radar interfered with the drone okay. when he was remotely doing it. Um, but we kept it all on dry land. We never had any incidents. Did you have a specialist drone pilot, if you like? Yes. What do you call them? Yes. Drone pilot? Yeah, yeah, drone pilot. Yeah. Drone pilot. But in bigger jobs, drone pilots would be two. So they would have actually someone on the tools, yeah, and they'd have actually someone, you know, flying it. So they'd have two operators. Uh, we only needed, because again, because of a lean mean fighting machine, we had this one guy, Bruno Katako, who was just fantastic. But, you know, I'm behind him with the monitor, which I'm sure was a pain in the arse for him half the time, <laughs> saying, no, mate, just slowly, you know, go around that rock face and then reveal the ship and then fly over the ship and then duck down and get me the name on the ship. He's like, okay. <laughs> mm. Very hard work, very, very talented. And look, the drones, is, you know, that's been a game changer to the industry and in, in mainly a positive way, but, you know, they can be negative as well. They can impinge and, you know, they can have accidents, as you well know as well. But, uh, you know, we couldn't have done it without it. It was fantastic. So you wouldn't have used drones on either the train journeys? No. Just no need. Well, we couldn't launch them from anywhere. We couldn't get off the train. Yeah. And also no need as well. Uh, You know, we couldn't keep up with them. The drone speed that it can fly at is is the limiting factor. Couldn't keep up with the train. Mm. But it could keep up with the, you know, with the the cruise ships. Sure, sure. The 
So the SBS showed the the four as that. So there was the two your productions, yep. the two they bought in from New Zealand, and the Canal Cruise yep. in England. Correct. Was it four successive Sundays? I think yes. in January. Yes, wasn't it was. It? it was. And it was, I think, part of a huge month for SBS. Slow summer. How well did those? How how big were those audiences? Well, I can only give you figures on what I know. Come from, on, Adam. No, Come I can on, give you mate. figures from the two that we did. Come on. Uh, so. SBS have put out press releases to say that the Indian Pacific uh, had a combined reach of over 1.3 million, which means at some point, as you will know, 1.3 million people So that people means, yeah, at a, at a particular point yep. during it, there was that many people Correct. actually watching. Correct. 1.3 million. Bizarre. That's a big reach. That's a big reach. Uh, and I believe the overnight figure was somewhere in the region of 450,500, but that's just and an, that's like an the initial figure. that's actually every orange go all the way, right? Correct. Yeah. And then the cruise... And this is probably because it wasn't a train that reach dropped to a million, mm-hmm. and the overnight I think was somewhere around three seven five or four hundred. So again, that dropped off a little bit, um, but still, I mean, James, massive numbers, massive numbers. I mean, with all due respect to you know other shows that are on the television, I mean, unfortunately, Sunday Night Takeaway is getting two hundred eighty thousand. I mean, I hate to guess what they're spending per hour. It mm-hmm. would be many, many times what we spent. On, on the cruise ships. You would, the have been, you would have been up against some sport, I guess. Like well, I, I think they were clever. Big Bash cricket, maybe. Yeah, but then if you don't like the sport... Australian Open, if you don't was like on sport, one of those nights. Then maybe oh, you the watch tennis it. tennis Open, you know? yeah. yeah. If you're not a sport lover, you know, the free two airs are asleep, apart from sport in January. Sure. So I think SPS were very clever. You know, putting it on in January, with on the face of it, if you're, if you're a scheduler, you would think, what, you want to put it on in January? But there's nothing else on. What about um, the viewers for... The extended versions on Viceland. Again, record, record figures. Good numbers for Viceland. For those channels, complete record figures. Yep. Talking 150, 180,000, I don't know the exact numbers. SBS would be able to clarify, but, but, but yeah. by all accounts, record numbers for those channels. So I reckon, and this isn't a criticism of Viceland or SBS, but I think a lot of people who would have liked that would probably have never been to Viceland before. That's right. Because it's a bit outside their That's demo. Right. So, That's right. So bearing that in mind... That's a particularly good figure, isn't great it? Great figures. Great so figures. they would have had to find that channel. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, if you don't mind, I'll ask you a question. Why do sure. you think it was successful? Why do you like it? Well, it's different. It's so relaxing, you know? It's just the idea that you can chill out, sit back and just, you know, let it sort of wash over you yep. if you like, you know? Excuse the pun on the Kimberly Cruise. Yep. But, but I mean, although I'm a bit of a train buff too. I like my, love Michael Portillo stuff, you know? Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, and just and I just love that all the little extras you had, yeah, those graphics, stories, yeah, the the range of camera shots, yeah, which you didn't get. You look, I mean, look, I enjoyed watching some of that canal one. People I was with said, "Come on, you're crazy. We're not staying with this anymore." I didn't mind it because it was, it was, it was really relaxing. Mm. But there wasn't a lot going on. No, those those didn't have the same production no. values. But you you were really throwing in lots yep. of little you know yep. tweaks and, and stuff, yep. which I which which enhanced it, but it didn't take away from yep. the overall relaxation yep. and that sort of stuff. I mean, you talked about you know good for, you know good for the soul and good for the heart. I mean, you know, some of the tweets. This program is good for you. My resting heart rate has dropped by twenty five percent, and we're only forty minutes in. My hubby and I are going to put the kids to bed in shifts so we don't miss anything. <laughs> this is gold, Jerry, which is one of my particular favorites. Being a Seinfeld fan, uh, I just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Everyone is transfixed on on slow TV. Um, 
I can't seem to turn this off to put the clothes in the washing machine. I mean, come on. That's, that's just incredible. Yeah. And that's just, you know, a few of them. Okay, so we're in March 2019. Yep. It's nearly been three months. What's doing? <laughs> What's doing? Have you done a recce on the new? Have, well, you, you probably, we've what can done, you tell me? We've done some recce. Because you would have pitched, right? Yeah. To go again. Correct. So and you'd be wanting to do at least two. <laughs> we'd like to do four. <laughs> I don't like the fact that yeah, but uh, they're probably not going to commission you for four. <laughs> I don't, you know, it's but let's uh, say you've you've have you have you got a can we ask you is there a reel for, for yeah, what you'd so, like to do next? So we've pitched a reel to them for the next one. Um, we're going in to meet them in the next couple of weeks to discuss the future of it. Safe to say it will come back. One hopes. Uh, you never know in television, James, as you well know. Sure. However, all signs are that it will come back. Uh, look. Doesn't take a rocket science. We've done land, we've done sea. There's an obvious next one in the equation, perhaps underground. No, it could be underground. <laughs> London <laughs> underground tube system. Um, so air, air trip. Air is a possibility, mm. but as you said, we'd like to do more bus, than one. Bus ride? No, I mean bus ride. Well, you know, I think but it maybe has an to... air trip. You've got to do another train. Come on. <laughs> Although there's going to be a lot of train action, isn't there? Griff Reese Jones has just, just signed up that, yeah. for a. Um, yeah. He's going to do a six episode season the, for Essential for the ABC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which and, has got an international uh, whole kind of plan around it. So yeah, yeah no, correct. Look, and, trains are and huge. Portillo's still got his Australian um, yep. series to to run this year sometime, presumably. Uh, look, I wouldn't be surprised if SBS don't do a train again. They like to do something different. They like okay. to not to be seen to be doing the same thing. Yep. And as you've just you know mentioned, they've got a lot of train activity. Uh, but look, in an ideal world from a Mint Pitchers perspective, we'd love to do four. Mm-hmm. We'd love to come up with four. So we are pitching many ideas to them. Um, let's see where it lands. But yeah, certainly air would be an option. Uh, but it needs to, you know, you can't just think of a space or a genre. It has to fall into SBS's charter. So we can come up with the best idea ever James mm. and they'll say to me where are the stories where's the multicultural stories what are you telling me about the indigenous communities you know so we have to tick that box and then someone else in SBS will say god it has to be as majestic you have to make it look as good as the GAN did those visuals were incredible so we've got it as an independent we've got to tick all those boxes so it's not just it can be the best idea in the world but will it be executed on charter and will you show me that it looks amazing it's not easy it really isn't easy yeah because you'd have to start work pretty soon, especially if you, if at least you do two. Well, we did two. So yeah. this time last year, we were just about to start the Indian Pacific. And then we we basically did that April, May, June, July. And then we went straight into the Kimberley Cruise, August, September, October, November. So yeah, yeah each one takes about three or four months. But look, you know, I don't have to do them all. So, no. you know, we would upscale. We would yeah. just, you know, employ the right people. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, look, quick, um, I want to talk a bit about, tell us so, a little bit about Mint Pictures. Now, you own Mint Pictures. I have, uh, used, it is my company, well, you have but equity I have a anyway, right? yep, Okay, yep, yep, yep. yep. Used to be part of, was it all three media? Yes, yeah, so we were North One Television here in Australia for from 2007 to 2012, um, who were backed by all three media. We came to a point whereby I wanted them to invest more and make us a big player like the Warner Brothers are and like the ITV Australia's are. And I said to all three media, let's make a whole base in Australia and let's take on, you know, the Giants. They said, great idea. It's going to cost us X. We don't think we can pull it off right now. And look, you've been doing relatively successfully, but, you know, hey, you're not making us shitloads of money. Excuse the language. 
so we can continue or you can buy it. And I looked at it and thought I would never have a better opportunity to own a production company that had a footprint in Australia. So I bought it. Um, I then sold some equity to my business partner, Dan Goldberg. So, so okay. the two of us run it. He works in the business too? He works yep. in the business day to day. He's he's head of factual. He's, you know, directed things like the Archibald for us, which was hugely successful in Foxtel. Okay. Uh, and is... Uh, so that Foxtel Arts, wasn't it? That was Foxtel Arts last year. Yep. Uh, and he's directing some of our content at the moment. So between the two of us, we run it. Uh, and look, you know, we're trucking along. They call us a mezzanine production company, which is this new phrase, I think, that, uh, you know, Screen Australia and Spa like to put out there. So is that... Upstairs, is that, downstairs? <laughs> not quite sure what it means. Does that mean not a real tiny indie and not a major? Exactly. It's sort of in the... Yep. It's in the middle. Okay. It's in the middle. So obviously your Shines and your Fremantles and yep. your Warner Brothers and your Essentials and, uh, you know, these companies, we would sit in that middle ladder, you know, under there. Right. Which is great. I don't hide that arguably we have aspirations to be bigger, but we're never going to be a Shine or a Fremantle because they're backed by hugely, you know, international, you know, dollars. We are truly Australian. Uh, we make fantastic content. Nothing has gone out of our door that I've ever thought to myself, that doesn't look good. We tell great stories. Uh, some of your other shows? Some of other shows. So currently we're in production on a show called The Pool for ABC, which is looking at the cultural and social relevance and significance of the pool in Australia. Okay. So, so that could be the swimming pool. It could Is be that the got a host? That's not got a host. Okay. It's got a very experienced writer in Christos Chocolates who, mm-hmm. who did the slap. Um, so we're in production on that. That's a two-part series, primetime in August on a Sunday night on ABC. So that would be massive. That could be a million viewers. Two shows for SBS, for the SBS Untold Australia strand, um, The Secret Life of Death, which is the inner workings of a funeral home in Australia, which is a great story. That's Jerry. That's Jerry. <laughs> and the other one uh, is called Working Title Trans Transmission, which is following uh, a regional woman in Wagga who has undergone transformational surgery. She, she wa- He was Dave, she is now Holly. Mm-hmm. And she's just convinced the Wagga Council to hold a Pride Parade, which is on this Saturday in Wagga. The first Will you be Mardi Gras. Yeah, we're we're wow. filming this weekend. Uh, we've got he- heaps of crew up there doing that. Fantastic. Uh, we're also in development with the ABC on the Barrowville Murders. I don't know if you're aware of the Barrowville Murders. This yes. is the three Indigenous kids that yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. arguably went missing. Although everyone seems to know who did it. It was a podcast, right? It was a huge podcast, that's yeah. right. They yeah. did some filming with it too, didn't they? Uh, we're a... the company that's been doing the filming. Oh, okay. Um, so we're in development with ABC on that. That's a true crime, but more than that, it's the story of us. It's the story of Australia. It's the story of Indigenous versus white man in Australia. Okay. That's been going on for 30 Is years. Is there a story. producer involved? I thought I interviewed someone about Dan that. Dan Box did the podcast. Yeah, we've done a Dan Box podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, okay. so Fantastic. he did the podcast. Um, yeah. A couple of other things with... ABC and SBS, we're in the official development with Channel 10, which is a big thing for us. I can't tell you what the show is, but that's okay. big for us. Uh, so look, you know. Now you've worked with Rosso in the past. Yes, Streets of Your Town with Tim Ross. He's doing some more stuff. You're not doing that we're with him? We're not doing that with him. I okay. don't know who, what production. Is he doing it with Essential? I'm not sure what company's doing not, it with. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not doing it with yeah. him. I've, uh, I've seen him out filming actually around Sydney. And yeah, yeah. So that was a good show, Streets of Your Town. So yep. really we do, you know, these sort of culture, pop culture uh, documentaries we've made a bit of a niche for. We did a show called Brilliant Creatures in the past with Clive James mm-hmm. and Barry Humphreys and Jermaine Greer and Bob yep. Hughes, which was hosted okay. by Howard Jacobson in the UK. That was hugely successful for the ABC. That was two parts. 
the Archibald for Foxtel was massive. That was a four-part series um, on Australia's biggest portraiture prize, uh, which was so well received. I mean, you know, Foxtel called it one of the best documentaries that you know that uh, that they've ever done. Uh, and lots of other things going on, like any busy, 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 like okay, any well, other, you know. People keep following our mediaweek.com.au. We'll, we keep up to speed, I think, with uh, most things you do. Yes, so we'll, we'll yes. make sure we stay on it properly. Thank now, you. look, before we go, we're out of time. Your background's pretty interesting. You worked in UK TV for quite a while. Yep. You, but you're also based in New York for a while too, yeah? So just give us a little I quick was, CV. Uh, on your I was a 25-year-old boy working in London for North One and my company got the contract to do three years NBA basketball for Channel 4. Wow. So my boss said to me, do you want to go live in New York for two years? <laughs> I said, uh, how long do I have to make a decision? <laughs> he said, how long do you need? I said, three seconds. <laughs> when do I go? So yeah, I left and I went to New York and look... I had the best time that anyone could ever possibly have. And this was filming sort of... One week I would be... Feature content that would sit around the games? So one week I would be with a host under the basket watching Michael Jordan play basketball. And then the next week I would be in Shaquille O'Neal's house interviewing him and, you know, traveling around, you know, know, New York for two years. And I fell in love with the NBA. I I didn't even know anything about the NBA, really. It wasn't big in the UK at the time. Love it. Who's your team? love it. That's the thing. I don't really have a team. I love it so oh, much. Good, probably right. the Lakers and the soft spot for Chicago Bulls, you know, because I interviewed Michael Jordan, yep. which is probably one of my biggest claims to fame. Wow. Uh, but yeah, so lucky. Look, I've had an amazing... I've worked at three Olympics. Um, I worked at the Sydney Olympics, which is where I fell in love with Australia. And I knew I wanted to come back and live here. And then I worked for Network 10 as a sports producer for two years. And then I w- went back into the North, won all three media stable because we worked at the Australian Open. So, look, I've been around, but loved every single second of it and feel very privileged and very lucky. Well, that's amazing, yeah, but that would have been a dream job, that NBA oh, gig. Yeah. Incredible, absolutely incredible. <laughs> and, you know, on a Friday they would give you a living away from home allowance. So, you know, here's $200 cash, which, you know, okay, see you, and you'd go off into the streets of New York for the weekend and, you know, do what 25-year-old boys do. Yes, yeah, yep. That's for another podcast, though, James. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> All right, Adam, look, uh, great getting you in to talk about um, slow TV, mate. Um, I'm looking forward to what you've got uh, coming up this year and uh, hopefully SBS will be able to share it in the uh, not-too-distant future. They might even hang on to it till they're all front, that they're up front, mate. That's think what they did last year. They announced yeah. that they're up front, which yeah. is later and much later in the year. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing them, they probably will. Yes, yeah. All righty, okay. Adam Kay, thanks for coming. No problem, James. Thanks for your time.